Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. A special edition this time around, special because we've really knuckled down, done a lot of research, called a lot of people to try and fathom something which uh, I find pretty interesting. And I, I think a lot of cricket lovers, especially in South Africa, will too. Now, following Kusal Pereira's sensational innings against the Proteas in Durban, many were declaring it the best test innings of all time, and rightly so. I, I failed to to find a better one, I, given the circumstances, the opposition, the venue. Um, but of course, these things are always subjective, and we've seen lists like these pop up before. The most recent was a selection done by All Out magazine. I think it popped up in 2017, and uh, the magazine since uh, gone down, unfortunately. Uh, but the list still stands. Now, joining me to discuss the best ever South African innings is uh, a man who you all know very, very well from a broadcasting perspective, but he's also a cricket anorak through and through. And uh, yeah, Simon Gear, great to have you online. Derek, it is such a pleasure to be with you guys. Simon, first and foremost, everyone knows you from TV. And of course, I think from a cricketing angle, they love to follow you because they know exactly if there's going to be rain or not uh, coming up the next day uh, with regards to play. But, of course, your um, presence from a cricketing perspective goes much deeper than that. Yeah, so I've um, recently started One World Sports Radio, um, and we do live cricket commentary, and we have an enormous amount of fun with it. Uh, we play jingles and we laugh and we joke together but at the heart of it is really really serious cricket anorak stuff and i mean you talk about this most recent sri lanka game and we had a sri lankan guy on the couch with us this bloke was in tears and he had his father tweeting him uh, as sri lanka got close like not able to believe that this was actually going to happen and those are the sort of things we are able to happen, uh, to, to make happen on um, One World Sports Radio. Uh, yeah, man, uh, you broke up for a second as you're saying the name, but uh, luckily you managed to redeem yourself right at the end. It, it really is a <laughs> fantastic initiative. Um, I, I myself have been listening to it through and through. And yeah, as you say, you guys have been having fun. It's clear from the listener's perspective, but just to, to be, be able to enjoy guys enjoying cricket. I mean, we've seen it before, but to have 24-7 access to matches, especially during what is our summer, uh, as we head towards the World Cup. No, absolutely. And I mean, it's been an interesting one because people have said to us, well, what do you have to add to the, you know, all of the Australian cricket captains can't add on Channel 9. And, and the truth is, we have a bunch of guys who are cricket anorak through and through. Um, but they all have massive life experience away from cricket as well. And so we have this fantastic conversation that just runs, um, you know, over the course of a test match uh, that is entertaining and is informative. And I'm very, I'm very, very proud of the product. Simon, before we dive into the reason why we're here today, uh, just quickly tell listeners in terms of how they can listen to you guys. Yeah, so we are oneworldsportsradio.com, so uh, onewsr.com. Um, that's probably the easiest way. You just get onto our our website. Um, there are various ways you can listen to us on Facebook and on TuneIn. TuneIn, we're actually gorillacricketsa.com, but honestly, if you just uh, go to onewsr.com, that'll uh, give you all of the possible op uh, options. Okay, so as discussed, the reason why we're here Following Pereira's innings, it was roundly voted by many saying that it could potentially be the best ever test innings of all time. And that got us thinking, who has provided the best ever test innings by a South African? I mentioned that All Out Cricket article that came out in 2017. I think they listed the top 50 of all time, according to them. And uh, two South Africans made the top 10, none making it to number one. Simon, care to hazard a guess as to what the number one was? The number one of internationally, huh? Yeah, yeah, internationally. I'll, oh, gi I'll give you a clue. It was an Indian. 
It was an oh, okay, well, probably session. It was um, not. It wasn't. No, and, and it took place in 2001 at Eden Gardens. Uh, yeah, it's the story of Ganguly doing something spectacular, but I can't honestly think what it was. It was VVS Lakshman. He scored ah. 281 oh. in Calcutta. Remember they're playing against the Aussies and India. Yes, were, this oh, was the follow one test. That's the one. Yes. Oh, yes. No, absolutely. Yes. I would, I would, I would completely put that in. Uh, Aussies were bowled out for 445. India's first innings, 171 all out. And uh, Lakshman, incidentally, in that inning, scored 59. He was the highest scorer. And uh, India mm-hmm. were asked to, to follow on, which is something we, that we don't actually see too much of these days. And they ended up posting, how's this, 657 uh, declared, for seven declared. And Lakshman ended up posting 281. Uh, then it became a battle for survival for uh, Australia. And they were bowled out for 212 and that meant that the Indians coasted home uh, by 171 runs after being asked to follow on. Well, actually, weirdly, that test was the one that put pay to the whole concept of, of following on. Um, before then, absolutely, you put the team in. After that, I think uh, test captains got so spooked that they that it, it was literally it was a it was a, a, a night and day moment. Yeah, well, uh, I can imagine the Aussies uh, will be low to, to follow on anytime soon or ask anyone to follow on. But yeah, as, as you rightly say, I think that was the, the rapid decline of follow-ons following Lashman's heroics as uh, he coasted India to victory over in Kolkata. Now, uh, I went about this in... Uh, I mean, you're a scientist by trade, so I tried <laughs> to do this uh, fairly calculated. I've seen how you've been about this, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And, and look, it, it's, it's by no means science whatsoever, uh, and it's still subjective because I've asked the opinions of uh, a couple of people and people that I regard as having seen a fair amount of cricket in their lifetime. So it was cricket journos and uh, former players, and I, I asked in total 22. So a big thank you. I asked each and every one to give me their top three innings of all time from a South African post-isolation. And there, there were a few that did pre, but only one innings in particular, uh, yourself included, Simon. And uh, so of those three that I got, I gave them a weighting in terms of a, a number. And uh, at the end, I calculated it. And uh, yeah, we, we worked out a top five. Uh, so a big thank you. I'm just going to run through the journals quick. Colin Bryden, yourself, Simon Gear, Kevin McCallum, Altus Momberg, Zaya Adams, Carl Lewis, Neil Manthorpe, Simon Beauchart, Daniel Gallen, Stuart Hess, Lungani Zama, Simon Lewis, uh, Candice. Uh, uh, do you know the surname? She actually works for you, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, God. It's like, <laughs> I've actually just tweeted it to you. It's Kotopoulos. Uh, uh, Kotopoulos. Okay. Candice Kotopoulos. Mpo yeah. Matloane, who's also working for you, a, a great find. Uh, well done there. Uh, where were we? Okay, Impor. Uh, then we've got Wahid Vadi, Otto Simon, Simi Aref, Ken Borland, Rob Hooving, Liam Brickle, Michael Owen Smith, and Natalie Germanis. And then I threw myself in um, for to round off the 22. So asked each and every one of those to name their top three, calculated it at the end, and I came up with a top five. So uh, a great top five and no two players featuring uh, separately. Uh, having a look at yours quick, Simon, I won't go into the big ones because uh, your, let me see here, if I'm going up, uh, you've got, in fact, of your three, only one made it into the top five. So let's talk a little bit about guys that didn't quite crack the nod. Uh, we've got Graham yes. Pollock playing in the 70s, um, and, and that was a magnificent knock. Um, a few voted for him. But there's another one that pops up, and that was A.B. de Villiers up against India, which was the complete antithesis of a test innings, 129 off uh, 112 balls. Yeah, so, I mean, I looked at this, and I thought, okay, so I picked three different innings that meant different things for me. And one of the things you've got to realize is I have an appalling memory for cricket stats. I'm really not an anorak. And that's why I rely on guys like Wahid Vadi in my team to remind me of exactly what happened when. But so I think my three were Graham's uh, double hundred in the 70s, 
um, ABWS um, uh, at, uh, at Centurion, which was at that time the fastest ever uh, test match century, certainly for South Africa, I think probably still stands. Um, and then JP Dumini's uh, knock in Australia. So yeah, so JP, um, ABS was important for me because that was the, the first game that I ever attended as a cricket journal, uh, which was in, enormous. I mean, it, that ticked so many bucketless boxes for me, like from 10 year old Simon to be able to actually walk into Centurion with the, uh, CSA, uh, lanyard around my neck and watch, uh, and watch, uh, AB thrash the Indians for all corners of the ground. So that's been hugely, hugely important to me. Um, Graham Pollock's knock is important because it's the one that my uncles and my father told me about. Uh, so I obviously never saw it. I mean, it happened six years before I was born. But, but it was embedded in my psyche from the moment that I became aware that cricket was a thing. And therefore, I had to put it in there. Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, it's wholly subjective. And as you just proved, that indeed is the case. And rightly so. I mean, we all have our favorites. And you can be at a specific time, a specific place. Now, I didn't include this innings in my top three, but I think wholly relatable is Hashim Amla's uh, double century in Nagpur because uh, I think it was the first test I ever attended away from South Africa. And what a test to attend because Hashim got his double century there and Dale Steyn blew the Indian uh, batsman apart and it was such a sensational test match. And uh, yeah, I think that just missed out in my top three. But again, wasn't... Probably wasn't Hashim's best innings, but because I was there, I got to experience it. It certainly uh, was one of the best that, that I ever saw um, under his guideship. But uh, yeah, so that was uh, your top three. Now, calculating afterwards, I'm, I'm just looking at some that missed starts. I mean, we got some big names that didn't quite crack uh, the top five. Uh, for instance, Jacques Callis, um, surprisingly so. But that being said, I mean, he did contribute at many, many big ones, but not quite the... <laughs> ever encasing ones that we always talk about when you look down in centuries to come. So I must tell you, my fellow commentators rip into me because I often say that Jacques Callis is like the waiter where if you notice him, then he's not doing his job properly. <laughs> and so Jacques for me is one of the most boring cricketers who ever lived, but my God, was I grateful for him through all the years that he played for the Proteas. I mean, he was just, that like that absolute rock, but did he ever enter the bar, uh, empty the bars? No, I don't think he did. I think when I posted this question out on Twitter first and foremost, before I approached the the various cricketing journals, um, quite a few people actually mentioned Jock Callis's first ever Test century, which was 1997 at the MCG. He did so to to save a Test match, and at that time he was under enormous pressure because I think he'd played eight or so test matches without doing anything with the bat. And yeah. there were still question marks over, you know, is this guy ever going to come good? And it was almost as if he was batting for his place in the team. Of course, we know in hindsight, I mean, geez, he went on from strength to unbelievable strength. But uh, yeah, that, that first test innings, that certainly put him in place. No, for sure. And he was, I mean, he became this absolute rock for, for the Proteus. But was he ever anyone that anyone put a, a poster on the wall of? Probably not. But but I, I respect that. I mean, I respect the workmanlike approach that he had throughout his entire career. And he was an absolute class act. Um, and now, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, you've got to be very, very careful to put that mantle onto other people. But you look at a guy like Vian Mulder, and you think, oh, could we? Could we possibly have another drug cutter? Yeah, well, uh, let's wait and see. We certainly need one. Well, not necessarily need one, but I think we're just so spoiled having him in the middle. I mean, we always talk about it, the fact that there's a guy who could score half centuries, centuries at will and then come back in and take a fifer. I mean, they are, jeez, once-in-a-generation players across the world, and we had him for over a decade. No, for sure. And and, and he was a phenomenal asset to, to the Proteus and did... You know, I mean, everything. I mean, it, when you look at the the stats of our, our win record through that period, we were off the charts. 
Um, we won, I think, something like 75% of our ODI games through that period um, and probably upward of 80% of our tests. Uh, so, no, I mean, he was, he was an unbelievable asset to South Africa and we are very, very lucky to have him in our, in our family. Okay, so Jacques Cullis, unfortunately for him, not making the top five, according to many, many cricketing journals uh, across the country. So let's uh, see who did, starting off with number five. Five. The venue was Newlands 2016, and uh, the results saw it was actually a drawn test. So it wasn't exactly match-winning stuff, but for the occasion and for how much it meant to South Africa as a whole. Simon Temba Bavuma's 102 not out, the first black South African to score a century. Yeah, it was unreal. And um, and it was one of those moments, it was interesting. I mean, we, we've obviously discussed this at length amongst my um, commentary team. And this innings came up over and over and over again. The important role that Temba Babuma plays as a symbolic representation of the hopes and the dreams of black South Africa is so, so vitally important. And he is such a wonderful guy in the team as well. You know, so, I mean, regardless of his stats, his, his personality and his role in the team is so vitally important. But when you look at his stats as well, particularly when South Africa is four or five down, this guy's averages are off the chart. So he is, uh, quite honestly and truly, he's probably my uh, most favorite uh, South African test cricketer. Well, i tell you what, who's also a big fan is a guy who works for you guys. We spoke to him a little earlier, um, and Paul Matluwane. You said that uh, he is a future broadcasting superstar when it comes to cricket. Uh, what does he do as a profession, you say, apart from the commentary side, Simon? Oh, <laughs> Chartered accountant, but my stated goal in life is to get him to give up CA uh, to come and work full time in radio. This guy is, as I've said, as you said, an absolute sports broadcasting superstar. Well, I chatted to him for a little earlier, and this is what he had to say about Timber's innings, which incidentally cracked his number one. I think for me, that innings uh, was one of the most, um, the one of the scariest hundreds I've have to have had to endure. Um, because I felt like I was a part of it. I think every shot that he played, um, we, I, was, I was behind it and felt like the, an entire nation was behind it. I remember when he was in the 20s and he hit a cover drive um, for four to the boundary and I, it felt like today was the day. Um, obviously, Timbo was in the team and it had been a while and I felt that obviously probably today was it. And then, in, and then slowly, gradually... Momentum started building, and, and, and as he got over 50, we started dreaming. And I think for me, that was the most important thing. I think as ever, with every run that came, Timber got a new fan. Timber got somebody else who was not a cricket watcher involved. And watching it as well, following it on Twitter with a lot of people who weren't cricket followers, they, they, were, they were there invested in it too. One of the most interesting things for me about that innings is that I was sitting with my mom, and... She's a cricket fan, but not the biggest. But she fell in love with Timber that day, with the way that he gutsed it out, he fought it. There were a couple of some, some balls that he got outside off, some balls that were very, very hard. That England bowling attack was quite, was, quite, was quite good. And it was, as he got into the 90s, and, and this innings was characterized by the fact that he kept on running out of partners. And so he was standing there with Kahiso going into the 90s, at 96 and that moment on 96 when i believe an entire nation was watching like i think the ratings at that point in time were at their highest and him getting to that was one of the most incredible things and and the thing about timber is that i think his technique is one of the he's probably one of one of the best techniques um in the game um and for me it was just it was incredible it was probably one of the best i've ever seen and it was probably because of the fact that I was invested in it, and I think a whole lot of people in South Africa were invested in it. And him being the first black South African to score a century, it's, 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 it's for me my top, my, my, best ever, my best century, test century by a South African.
Thanks very much, Impor. Very kind words from him about Temba Bavuma's innings. Just uh, to quickly recap, England uh, scoring 629 for six declared, and uh, South Africa in reply 627 for seven declared. And there were two centuries, and that makes all a double century from Hashimabla. But Temba Bavuma, 102 not out. And uh, Stuart Hess wrote quite a a good article uh, a couple of months ago, Simon, where he spoke about Temba's stats. And he said the stats... Don't be- well, they belie his achievements because, as you mentioned, he's often come in where South Africa's been in a dire situation and he's stuck in. It's almost as if his low scores have come in games where the rest have shone, yet his high scores have come in where the other guys have faltered. And funny enough, I actually had a look uh, a couple of days ago where I reviewed SA's batting averages from the top six that played against Sri Lanka in the first test. And I looked back over the past two years and he's the only one well, firstly, he had the highest average out of the top six, and he's the only one over the last two years who's, in fact, bettered his overall average. So that says a lot. Yeah, so there was, I mean, there was a superb article by Tom Eaton about two years ago where he analyzed um, Timber's average when he comes in um, with the score under 100 uh, for four um, relative to, like, 300 for four. And his his average is so much better when he's when he is playing a rescue act. So, so absolutely, I mean, I I ascribe to him that. And then when we saw him come in at at, at number four, uh, this most recent Sri Lanka thing, I was kind of ambivalent of it because I like him as a number five, number six, a guy who plays the rescue act. But hell's bells, he batted so so incredibly well at uh, at um, number four and I would like him uh, like uh, he has my back uh, or, or sorry I have his back uh, in terms of um, uh, of absolutely back number four for the Proteas going forward. Well he just slipped into five uh, he looked good for fourth spot but uh, there's one point difference uh, between him and number four so without further ado let's uh, have a look and see who that is. Adelaide Oval, 2012, November, (laughs) Australia up against South Africa. It was the second test between the two sides, and the first test was drawn. This match looked to be headed for a certain Australian victory. Uh, As it stood, uh, South Africa at one stage, they found themselves 45 for three. 45 for four, in fact, that was following the wicket of Alviro Peterson, and one Faf Duplessis stepped to the crease. He's a household name now, captaining the South African side. But at the time, he was making his international test debut. And what a debut it was, Simon. No, it absolutely was. And he blocked for death for about a day and a half, didn't he? Yeah, he, he blocked forever. I mean, he scored 110 runs not out of 376 balls. He stayed in the middle for 466 minutes in the time he scored 14 fours, but that was largely relevant because South Africa had a mountain to climb in terms of runs, so they were never going to do that. It was really all about survival, and, and that's what they managed to do, and they eked out that draw at the end. Uh, at the end, how many wickets were they down? There were eight wickets down, so two left. Faf was there unmoved. Now, I caught up with him a little earlier today. He sent me a voice note while he was driving, so the quality isn't great. But, uh, this is him speaking to us about that incredible innings. Everyone expected pretty much uh, the game to be wrapped up by lunchtime. Uh, that's normally how those games work. Got guys get a wicket or two the next morning, and then by test uh, by lunchtime the game's done. But uh, that wasn't our plan. Our plan was to try and survive somehow. And yeah, I remember being very motivated to try and block out the game. Oh, it was still a good wicket, so. I was ready to do it, and then got through the first session. I think it was still with Avi, so then obviously there was a bit of hope from us as a team that we could do this because we didn't lose that weekend in that first session. Um, yeah, but it got to tea, and then by tea time, I, I was been batting for a while, so I was, got pretty tired towards tea time. But uh, I actually remember the conversation with Avi at the time saying, "Listen." keep going, I know you're tired, I know you're cramping, um, but it, this knock you know, it will mean a lot for, for this team and for people 
probably a lot of people back home supporting you, so I actually got a lot of drew a lot of strength from that. Um, but yeah, I got through it. Got, I think it was close, close to 400 balls for my 100. Um, so by the time that I got to 100, um, was was very tired and but uh, over the moon about the 100. But uh, obviously there was a, a lot of work still to be done. So and that's when the game started getting a real real intense uh, test match. A couple of wickets started falling and, and, and you could feel the intensity and the nerves around the ground. You know, the ground was getting involved. Um, so yeah, to get through it the way we did was amazing for me to save the test match because also the Australians threw absolutely everything that they had at us in that match. Um, and we felt that obviously we got through that game as a winning draw. So, yeah, they were pretty knackered, all of them, uh, and then managed to win the next Test match, and obviously that made us win the Test series. So, yeah, it just shows us was was great for us. I mean, instead of sitting and having a beer after that Test match, saying, "Listen, we just feel like we uh, the momentum has shifted towards us, so the next Test match, we'll, if we get an opportunity." They all go away, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So, looking back on it now, still my proudest achievement, um, till up till date, is that hundred on debut, and what it meant for the team, what it meant for winning that series, and also for me personally, um, a huge, uh, a huge moment in my career. Yeah, it doesn't get huger than that, Simon. And, and interesting to note that he says, still to this day, it's his most proudest achievement. Hopefully that will change in the next couple of months uh, as we head over to England uh, for the 2019 World Cup. But yeah, what, what a way to kickstart your test career. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he has been such a good news story for the Proteus. You know, he was a guy who came into the Proteus set up very, very late in his career. I think so 27, 28, he made his his debut, and he has been just such an absolute asset to the team, uh, and I'm a huge fan of that. Just to, we've we got to mention A.B. de Villiers' role uh, in that innings of Faf, because as we spoke about, it was about survival. Faf, 110 off those 376 balls. Now, A.B. de Villiers batted with him for, for most of that innings. He scored 33 runs, and as we all know, A.B. and Faf are childhood best friends. Uh, they both went to Afis together. 33 runs, pretty good. 320 balls, 246 minutes, and not a single boundary scored. Now, one man who's seen more cricket than most is, well, well-known journalist, respected journalist, broadcaster of the works. Uh, you name it, he's done it. And that's uh, Neil Manthorpe. Now, Neil saw that innings. As impressed as he was with Puff, he said he just had to mention the role that AB played in it. That fifth day at the Adelaide Oval, AB was Fuff's inspiration. Um, you know, what you can't measure is the way AB got Fuff through um, almost until the end. I mean, AB <laughs> was out with an hour to go and we thought, oh, no. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he was Fuff's inspiration. And, um, uh, and you know, the, the fact that, that it, the, the supporting role, you, you cannot measure. You can look at the numbers and think, how did he score 33 off 220 balls and not hit a boundary? I mean, you can't face that many balls without accidentally hitting a boundary. But that's how softly he was playing it, you know. I mean, even when he did get an outside edge, which wasn't very often, it only went halfway to the boundary. Such was he, such was the, the, the gentleness that he was playing the ball. It was amazing. You, you look at that, Simon, and you spoke about AB's innings at Centurion. And then you compare the two. Okay, AB didn't make the top five. Well, uh, not, not yet, at least. But, I mean, you compare the two innings. Uh, at the time, the fastest century for South African at Centurion, 2010. And then he goes, and it's 33 runs off a million balls. So, I mean, AB is an interesting guy for me because he has um, bracketed my, my uh, broadcasting experience. Um, he was, I think that I was the first ever guy to interview him live on radio um, when he had just made his debut. Wow. And he was this, this rough young, young guy from Northerns who had just played against the English, and, and I, I, I was lucky enough to interview him. I never, ever got to broadcast a ball-by-ball commentary of his batting. 
and I had followed his batting, well, his his career so closely. I mean, I was a, like a little boy level of banter, um with this guy, who is indisputably, I think, the best cricketer I have ever seen. And so I was very, very lucky to have had some media exposure to him very, very early on. And yes, I'm... I'm irritated that he's not playing for us for the World Cup in uh, 2019, but I also respect his, his choices and, and what he has to do. But indisputably, the best South African batsman, I think, is the Netherlands. So, yeah, you don't get uh, to speak about incredible innings that don't go past the 40 mark, but uh, in this case, you certainly do. Just a, a recap of his numbers, 33 of 220 balls, 246 minutes. But again, it wasn't him making the top five. It was Faf Duplessis coming in at number four, who, who took us home at the end with 110 on debut, an undefeated 110. Now, let's uh, move over to number three. The venue was London, and it was South Africa up against England. There's a man who came through to the crease uh, up until that stage. He had done sensationally well, as was always expected. But this time around, he went past the mark set by any South African. And he went on to score 311 not out. Hashim Amlan. Simon, I must tell you, the amount of votes I got from Hashim not just this innings. I mean, there were a couple. I mentioned the Nagpur in, uh, innings, for instance. He, he just never stops. But that 311 not out, what a performance. Yeah, I mean, he, is, he has been the granddaddy of Test Match uh, batsmen for us for a decade now. And there is such affection for Hash. Um, to the point where I, I get slightly irritated on his... Um, uh, on his test match uh, shirt, that it has HA and not just the hash, you know, <laughs> which I think would be awesome. Um, so no, I mean he he is he is someone who is just a friendly face of South African cricket. His if, if if he never made a single run for the Proteus, he would still be worth his place in the side. Uh, in terms of the role that he's played, in terms of nurturing young players up. Uh, in terms of creating stability um, in our team, I am a massive, massive Hashim Amlaka. Well, I thought I'd have to go back to Neil Manthorpe because, as stated, there's a few innings that he hasn't seen. Uh, really, somebody could walk out in a test match and, and, and score 100 off 35 balls and it would be a great exhibition of hitting. But for me, when we talk about all-time great innings, I, I, I have to take the context into um, into. The, the, the situation in, in order to judge them. And so it wasn't just the historical context of Hash's 311, the first South African to score a triple hundred. It was, once again, the context. England, ha- England were 270 for three overnight on the first day on a beautiful batting wicket. And South Africa fought back amazingly well on the second morning to bowl them out for 385. But it's still 385. And South Africa have got one option here at this point, and that's to, to go enormous. And they said, we have to bat once, we have to make 600 and try and bowl them out again because it's a beautiful batting wicket. But, you know, <laughs> it's an easy thing to say, to go out there and do it. Um, and, and, and remember, they lost Alvaro Peterson in the first over, so they're kind of naught for one. And then Hash adds 259 with the captain, Graham Smith, which in, in 90 overs, in a, in a full day's batting, which is impressive enough. But he adds a partnership of 377 to that 259 with Jacques Callis. Um, and it was the skill. It wasn't just the fact that he faced 529 balls. <laughs> Let that sink in. 35 balls. It's the way that he played the world's premier spinner at that stage, Graham Swan. Um, and I remember speaking many times to Swan about it afterwards. He said... You know, and Swan's figures, he, bear in mind that he is now the first spinner to fully, fully utilize the advantages of the, the review system, whereas umpires gave, routinely gave batsmen not out against off spinners if they were struck, uh, um, if, if, if the ball was spinning apparently down the leg side or if they were getting outside line of off stump. Swan 
used the review system absolutely brilliantly. He ended up bowling 52 overs and taking none for 151. And he said afterwards, Hashim just took, he said for, for two days, he basically took a step outside off stump and whipped me through mid-wicket. At one stage, he had three mid-wicket fielders and it made absolutely no difference. And um, Andrew Strauss, the captain, came up to him at several points and said, um, do you think we should change tactics here? Do you think we should try something different? And Swan just replied, he's going to miss one. He's going to miss one sooner or later. And of course, he, he just never did. But it was the it was just the the determined um, stamina, really mental and physical. Remember, it was Ramadan as well, so he was only taking on fluids in the privacy of the dressing room. He wasn't drinking on the field of play, uh, and it was an an unbelievable, unbelievable innings of, of skill, um, endurance, and of course the historical context we can will never ever forget. So. Yeah, that uh, sums it up to perfection. What an innings, and historically so. No one's ever gone past 300, and what a man to do it, Simon. No, absolutely. And, I mean, I would, uh, you know, he is such a nice guy, and he is just such a fantastic ambassador for Proteus cricket, um, as is Neil Bantle, for that matter. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would happily uh, sign him on for the all-top three. It's funny because I'll never forget when the South Africans came back from Australia, their victorious tour of Australia, the first time they had done so back in 2008, uh, going into 2009. And I was at the airport for the first press conference with the players. And I was sitting there with Hashim Amla and chatting about what a successful tour they'd had. Um, Hashim hadn't exactly lit up the tour with the bat. He would got a couple of 50s, um, but no centuries to his name. And I said, you know, what, what was uh, the most the highlight for you of the tour and the most disappointing. And I think the highlight, he probably mentioned the fact that obviously them, them winning the series, but he said the biggest disappointment was that he was bowling at one stage. And I can't remember in which test it was against who it was. <laughs> and he got a batsman plum LBW and the umpire said, not out. And ah. he was so disappointed. <laughs> and, and it was amazing. You think to, the, to yourself, here's this guy, he bats for fun. It's all about batting for him. And the biggest Disappointment for him was the fact that he couldn't come away with the wicket and down under. No, absolutely. And I mean, we've, we've had interactions with him through our commentary team as well, um, you know, away from cricket, where he has just shown himself to be an amazing man who has uh, conducted himself at such a high level and at such, um, you know, like it just, it, he's an honorable guy. And, uh, and yeah, we support him to the hilt and we hope. Uh, that uh, that he comes right, um, uh, you know, going forward, and that uh, and that he can he can retire at his leisure. So just to recap, at number five we had Temba Bavuma his century against England. At uh, number four we went back to 2012. It was Faf Duplessis' undefeated century on debut. And at number three we had Hashim Amla who scored uh, 311. Not out, uh, the first uh, ever South African to go past the 300 mark and doing so. That came uh, against the English uh, at the Oval. A sensational innings, uh, nonetheless, uh, from the mighty hash. And going over to the top two. Now, I must say that the first two were very tight between Temba and Faf. Uh, Then we moved over to Hashim, who I think had a vote. Let me just have a look quick as to what it came down to. Hashim was in third place with uh, 50 points and then in second place this is what happened right i'll never forget this innings i've mentioned the tour a short while ago took place at the mcg and the date was uh, it was between the 26th and the 30th of december south africa were going to win their first ever series down under. They had won the first test uh, that took place at the Wacker. Now they were at the Cathedral of Cricket down under. And at one stage, we were on a hiding to nothing. There was no ways the South Africans could draw it, never mind win it. And there came a guy into bat who was playing in only his second test match. And he was a late uh, addition to the side following an injury to Ashwell Prince. And J.P. Doomney came to the crease and played an innings of a lifetime, 166 he ended up putting on, shared a fantastic partnership with Dale Stane, 
South Africa ended up in their second innings, posting 459 all-out when uh, they began the day something like 300 runs in arrears. And uh, they went on to defeat Australia, and comfortably, no less, uh, winning that one by nine wickets. At one stage, it looked as if they'd be swept up within three days. Simon, uh, again, what a way to, to make your mark in the international stage. No, absolutely. And it was a, a controversial tour because uh, JP's position was very much uh, earmarked as a, a transformation position. And, you know, there had been a controversy around his selection. And yet he just shut all of that out and he just battered and battered and battered all the way across that Australian tour. And I have such huge respect for him. For that, and I think he won the hearts and minds of all South Africans uh, in this particular inning. Well, it's uh, yeah from the man himself, JP Doomy, following that innings. Uh, yeah, no, no doubt. One of those innings is that kind of sets your career up in many ways, and uh, obviously ironic how it happened with Ashwell getting injured uh, the day before the the first test. So. Obviously, this was the follow-up test match uh, where, if I go back to the first test, I kind of just thought, okay, I'm probably going to play the first test. So just kind of take it for what it is, and then, you know, Ashwin will come back in. But obviously, the extent of his injury was a little bit more severe than we originally thought, and then ended up playing the second test as well. And, yeah, we found ourselves in a, a very uh, challenging situation there where... We were, I think it was five or six down pretty early and put on a nice, decent partnership with Paul Harris initially and then led into that uh, record-breaking uh, partnership with, with Del Stain. But I think it was just one of those moments where, you know, you're just in the zone for, for the entire game. And, you know, we as a test side, we were in a really positive frame of mind uh, just had come off a very good test series win in England a few months before that and then you know the the test side on a whole was quite an established one where the guys that were playing were playing for a long period of time and I understood the games pretty well and then there I was coming in as a youngster and you know just had the platform to kind of come out there and, and play my natural game and the guys kind of encouraged that from the ball, f- from the first, you know, opportunity that I got. So that kind of set the whole thing up. And uh, I think back to, you know, the support that I had from my family, from my friends, and and no doubt that my teammates. I remember also coming off after that innings. The guys kind of made a little arch for me with their bats to walk. <coughs> through you know in in mcg's got this massive tunnel that you walk into and the guys then made this arch with their bats which was quite extraordinary to be fair because you know you had senior players guys like graham smith and captain obviously and um neil mckenzie Jacques Callis, uh mark boucher and and the rest you know and the the, the look of appreciation from my teammates in that scenario was just mind-blowing and obviously the first opportunity we've ever had to win a series down under and then we obviously repeated that a few times after so man it was a, a, a an unbelievable opportunity which i'm always which will always always be grateful for and um, definitely one to go down is one of my best of my career yeah, in terms of Mitchell Johnson, uh, I mean, he was on top form that series. I remember the first test match, he took an 8 for in one of the innings. And I guess the benefit that we had in the MCG test was Brett Lee got injured in that test match, so he could no longer take part. Uh, so I guess the sole responsibility laid on his shoulders, Mitchell Johnson's shoulders. Peter Siddle had just started, so... He was pretty inexperienced, and Nathan Horitz also debut. So, I mean, the MCG wicket was was a good one, and you know it sort of gave value to 
the bowlers as well as the batters. You know, once he got in, it was a pretty good wicket to bat on. Uh, but he was a tough con- competitor and tough contender specifically throughout that whole series. And, uh, you know, I've obviously had opportunity to face him on many occasions. And he's always been one that came at you nonstop. And, uh, yeah, you, he never gave you an inch. So whenever you got an opportunity to try and pounce on him, you kind of took it with both hands. And uh, there were a few moments like that, yes. Yeah, I'll never forget. I was also at the airport again following that tour. And after speaking to Shima, I was chatting to JP. And that was one of the questions I posed to him as well. What was the, the toughest part of the tour? And, and he said, without a doubt, it was Mitchell Johnson, who unfortunately has, has since retired from cricket. But at the time, one of the most devastating bowlers around. Uh, and JP uh, getting his career off to a magnificent start. And, and many would say he never reached the heights that he set for himself at right at the beginning. And I mean, few would be able to, Simon, because, yeah, that, that's, as we keep on saying, is a once-in-a-lifetime innings. Yeah, it's a difficult one for me because, I mean, he has played uh, a lot of tests for South Africa subsequently. Um, and there is this temptation to sort of criticize him and say, well, you didn't become a, an absolute superstar. Um, but, but he, he has been a solid performer at test match cricket right the way through his career. And uh, we need to respect him for that. Of course, he's since retired from Test cricket, but he is still very much an ODI and T20 player. Unfortunately, a few question marks at the moment over his fitness uh, with regards to the series against Sri Lanka. Hopefully, uh, he will be able to to get fit in time to to represent the side for the World Cup. I mean, when it comes to the shorter formats of the game, Simon, I mean, he's a stalwart in that side. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, obviously we in our commentary team have been um, trying to pull out this, like, 15-man squad for the World Cup. I mean, we've been playing this game since the Zimbabwe series in September. And we always keep that little gap open for JP. Uh, you know, he has, re- everyone has always put him in their 15-man squad. Uh, but he really does need, unfortunately, to now get some game time. Yeah, well, let's uh, hold thumbs. But, uh, yeah, what a remarkable innings. It uh, was my number two, in fact, and a lot of people's number ones. And uh, that came in with a points haul of 65. But uh, there were uh, 16 points separating him and top spot. The venue was Edgebaston, and it took place a little while prior to that innings we spoke about from JP. And I'll describe the scenes to you by Andrew McGlashan, who was writing for Crick Info at the time. And he said, Edge Baston has provided heartbreak for South Africa in the past, but nine years on from their lowest point in the 1999 World Cup, they exercised some ghosts by claiming their first series win in England since 1965. Graham Smith produced a performance that will go down in South Africa's sporting history with an unbeaten 154 one of the finest centuries in a run chase. The victory was clinched by a 112-run stand with Mark Boucher after they claimed the extra half hour against a spent England attack. Just as JP mentioned, at the MCG, they were going for their first ever series win in Australia. South Africa at Edgebaston, they were playing the third test. They'd won one already, and there was one to go at the Oval, but they needed this victory to claim the series. And at one stage, Simon, again, they looked dead and buried with Andrew Flintoff bowling immaculately. And yet again, Graham Smith pulled off one of his four centuries in the fourth innings. Yeah, I mean, if you had to pick two guys to bat for your life, um, you know, to like close out the game, uh, Graham Smith and Mark Barcher, is there anyone else in world cricket you would choose rather? No, certainly not. And... <laughs> Uh, and I mean, so I mean, those two guys. I, I mean, how many ODI games did Mark Barcher close out for us? He it was just an absolute master at being able to manage a run a run chase. The only guy who is even close to it is um, Doni, uh, uh, MS Doni, who I, we, we we watched do the same sort of thing, sort of massage a run chase through to the finish. Um, but Barcher, I think, was the uh, the the first guy who really made it a speciality, and Smith, uh, I, I I mean you know to 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 have a team that 
that could have a guy like that come in and captain from the age of 22, 23, um, and be just the force he was in test match cricket, in test match batting. Uh, South Africa was in a golden age. Well, let's hear from South Africa's former test captain who took over the reins at the age of 22. From my perspective, it was probably the best innings I've, I've played in, <clears throat> in test match cricket if you just if you consider the situation and uh, the state of the series. and um, it, was, <laughs> it was actually a kind of a, a funny day, you know, in many ways when you tour England or big, uh, big tours like that, you know, you... You spend a lot of uh, mental and emotional energy. I mean, physically, you get you get tired, but you know it's more the the drain of you know the crowds, the media, you know the, the pressure to make sure that you perform day in and day out. And you know we were one up in that series, and uh, it's always so difficult at the end of a long tour. You know, if you lose that Test match to go to the Oval and have to win at the, the Oval, where England play well. Uh, generally, um, <clears throat> so I, I knew that that was a big test match for us. Uh, I, I carried a massive uh, sort of back problem into the game. I almost didn't play the game, um, and only probably really got to about a hundred percent on on about day three. Um, and uh, you know, I think the hardest part for me in that game was that we we had the game in in, in our hands, uh, and the Collingwood batted extremely well. And, you know, suddenly got England over a lead of, of 200-odd. And, uh, you know, you just feel like that moment, that opportunity to win a series kind of slipped away. So when I got up on that morning, uh, I actually didn't feel that good. I mean, uh, I didn't make breakfast. I didn't make, the, <laughs> I didn't make uh, anything. I just sort of arrived on the bus on time, sort of, you know, really just trying to find my own um, mental state uh, for the day ahead. And <clears throat> so often as a captain, you know, you so worried about everybody else that you, you know, forget and neglect to to sort of make sure that you're okay. You know, so I, I knew it was going to be a big day, and, and I sort of I think that morning <clears throat> I had to process a lot of sort of the emotions and pressures that maybe I'd I'd felt in the build up uh, and, and get rid of them. And probably the first I don't know. I think we batted for about forty minutes before lunch, <clears throat> and it was probably one of the worst forty minutes I've ever batted in my life. <laughs> I uh, edged through the slips. I played and missed non-stop. I don't think it was just. I remember sitting down at lunch, going, "My word, I don't know how I survived that." Um, and I walked out after lunch, and Jimmy Anderson bowled me, dragged one down a bouncer, and I smashed it through midwicket for four. And everything kind of just changed. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I fell into this mental state, this zone, um, and you know, started to feel really good, and everything started to. You know, sort of flow nicely, and you know, myself and Neil McKenzie put on a really good partnership um, until you know the drama of the side screen in, in, in that test match uh, became reared its head again. And uh, before I knew it, we were four or five down for you know, still needing a lot of runs. Um, and I think that uh, moment is a moment that I'll never forget. Actually, I was standing at the non-strikers in. <clears throat> And Callis ducked into a full toss from uh, Flintoff, and the edge batsman crowd went absolutely mad uh, when he was given out. And the whole stand, I remember standing at the non strikers end just watching the stand, and as the whole stand started singing, Cheerio, Cheerio, Cheerio to Callis. And uh, I just remember watching this whole thing unfold. It was, it was quite an incredible experience. And then, of course, you're joined in the middle by Mark Boucher. Well, you first had that. that that partnership with AB and Bauchi came to you. And I mean, if there's ever a nuggety fighter that you want to be teamed up with uh, to take your team over the line, it's him. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we needed a partnership somewhere. And I, I kind of, I mean, I actually remember saying to Mickey, I think it was at the tea break, if someone stays with me, we're going to get there, you know. Um, and AB and myself managed to form a partnership. But I knew it was going to be very difficult for the tail enders coming in on that, that pitch because it was spinning. Monty Panasol was spinning the ball a long way. Um, Flintoff was charging in. There were side screen issues. Guys were ducking into full tosses. And actually, as a left hander, I never, I never had a problem with that. So, you know, the right handers were struggling. So I just knew that, you know, that AB partnership and the Archer partnership was going to be key. And I'll never forget when Darch came out, he was marching like, you know, like a little. You know, bulldog out in the middle with intent, and I just sort of, uh, you know, said to him, "How are you doing?" And he thought about Flintoff, whatever. And he just said, "Don't worry, 
I've got this. I've got a new technique I've been working on. <laughs> so I said, okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it just, you started from that, that point and you just slowly watch the scoreboard tick down and tick down and tick down. And, you know, the game gets to those moments where, you know, you, you know, you're close, but every sort of 10 runs feels like a, a marathon, you know. So you just slowly work your way there. And then, then, you know, it came that moment to take the extra half an hour. And, uh, but I walked up the bout and there was, well, no doubt that we were going to punch through and go for it. And, uh, yeah, it ended up being, one of the most magnificent moments of my career. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I hadn't eaten the whole day. Um, I lived on these like, um, uh, energy type drinks that the trainer was bringing, bringing to me. Uh, and I remember we had an incredible celebration in the change room, uh, the team and arriving at the hotel that night. I mean, there were just tons of South African journals and South Africans there waiting for us. It was just, uh, an incredible, incredible time. So that wraps up the top five. Happy with number one, Simon? I am indeed, actually. And I mean, what a wonderful, wonderful story about him and Bouch uh, closing out the test uh, together. I mean, you, yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't wish for a, a perfect ending. Yeah, I'm willing to sign up on that. A big thank you again to the journos that took part in the big vote. Very scientific in how we worked it out. Going to go over those names again. Highly respected in the cricketing world. Colin Bryden, Simon Gear, my co-host today, Kevin McCallum, Altus Momberg, Zahir Adams, Carl Lewis, Neil Manthorpe, Simon Borchardt, Daniel Gallen, Stuart Hess, Lungani Zama, Simon Lewis, Mpo Matluane, Candice Kostopoulos, Wahid Vadi, Otto Simon, Simiaref, Ken Borland, Rob Hooving, Liam Brickle, Michael Owen-Smith, and Natalie Germanis. Now, I just want to mention two comments uh, from two journos. Rob Hooving, uh, they both spoke about Graham's 154. Rob's saying, Graham Smith, 154 not out on a spitting, turning, fourth inning surface to win the 2008 Edgebaston Test and simultaneously clinch the series against England. SA needed 281 to win, and at 93 for four had seemed near no hopers. But then Biff's BMT so splendidly to the fore with important help from Mark Boucher. And here's a, a few more words from Colin Bryden uh, regarding that innings. Graham Smith, 154 not out versus England, Birmingham 2008. Smith already owns scores of 277 and 259, both in his first tour of England as captain in 2003. But this innings was more significant as it sealed South Africa's first series win in England since 1965. Needing 281 to win, SA were in trouble at 93 for four, but Smith was magnificent and found useful partners in A.B. de Villiers and Mark Boucher as SA won by five wickets. So that made top spot uh, amongst those two. And tell you what, total was uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten of the 22 journos asked put Graham Smith in top spot. Uh, Simon, you weren't one of them. Remind us uh, with your numero uno again. My, my, my one was actually uh, Graham Pollock, 200, I think, um, back in the 1970s. Purely because that was what was always spoken about by my dad. But then I had JP's 160 odds uh, in Melbourne. I thought that that was one where I remember following it so closely. And then I watched A.B. de Villiers' uh, fastest ever 100 falls uh, in Test cricket for South Africa. And that will always play a, uh, have a place in my heart. Well, you came close. You, you did name a Graham, uh, just a different surname. But uh, <laughs> congratulations to the top five. Again, completely subjective. Opinions from those who think we know. Um, but yeah, highly enjoyable. But uh, there'll be many, many more to come. And uh, it by no means lessens the performances from other big uh, innings uh, of the past. Uh, just going over the top five again. In fifth place, we had Temba Bavuma. Over in fourth, Faf Duplessis. Third was Hashim Amla with that spectacular 311. Second, JP Dumini's efforts over at the MCG in only his second test match. And first was Graham Smith's heroic effort at Edgebaston. Um, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the line, Simon Gear. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up soon. And another reminder where folks can catch you with regards to cricket commentary because we've got the second test starting almost, uh, it's almost upon us. It is indeed. So we do every single ball of Proteus Cricket live on One World Sports Radio. You can catch us on onewsr.com.
Magnificent. And uh, I'm also very lucky in that we managed to feature our podcasts on the, on the station, which we've thoroughly enjoyed. And hopefully uh, this uh, innings, this best innings rap from a South African perspective uh, can maybe crack the nod. You know it well. <laughs> Simon Gear, have a lovely evening. We'll chat soon. Enjoy the second test. And uh, yeah, here's a great future for South African cricket and hopefully over in England uh, come the World Cup. Cheers, my brother. So well. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Radar Media.